0: Hey Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast, Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. This is our third podcast of the week. A little unexpected one. We're gonna have Gerard Martinez, USCfootball.com, dot com, National Recruiting Analyst joining us to talk all about USC football recruiting. What's up, Gerard? How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know it's a Trojan blast because you don't get the hello Trojan fans from Ryan at the beginning. I think I've done that some, but you know, now that we're doing you know multiple podcasts a week, I've got to save my voice. So we'll just do uh <laughs> I'll Just do that okay. once. That's on Monday, and that'll be it. But uh, uh, yeah, lots. I mean, lots going on in the world of uh, USC recruiting. So I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on a few things. We had some questions sent in from Twitter. If you uh, follow me on Twitter, it's at Inside Troy. If you follow Jamar G- if you follow Gerard, it's at Gmart Live. So G Mart Live, uh, all one word, is where you can follow him on Twitter. And he's got lots of good scoop going on about usc recruiting and uh you know the last time we talked gerard there has been a commitment it's uh shea fields uh wide receiver from st john bosco wanted to get your thoughts on what you think his impact is going to be on this class and at usc yeah kind of
1: a, a, a lesser name recruit in terms of uh the grand scheme of things and a guy that uh, i think over the summer if you would ask me is this a guy that's a usc caliber guy i would have said no um, I would have said no, mainly because of uh, the profile that he has in terms of uh, you know being a guy that's only in that you know maybe five ten range and you know I think we list him at like a buck seventy a buck seventy five and he's probably not that big so he's a smaller guy and not necessarily a track guy and so you know with USC it seems like if they were going after slot guys they wanted guys that uh, were really fast and. Um, that or they wanted a guy that was more of a position receiver that was bigger. And and Shea kind of doesn't really fit either of those. He's a smaller receiver, but he is very well polished. Um, I've made the, the comparison before when we've talked about him as a uh, kind of a slighter version of Bryce Treggs, who was a wide receiver uh, recruit coming out of St. John Bosco a, a couple of years ago. He's at Cal now. And Shea Fields kind of reminds me a lot of him, and, and he's a very good route runner. He's got very good hands. Um, he does most of his damage as a receiver with the ball not in his hands, but he has done a much better job, I think, this season showing that he can make some plays and he can he can gain some yards after the catch a little bit with some moves. And he's definitely worked on his um, his, his ability to make moves in the open field and to get a little more out of a play than just catching it and, and basically being down at the point of contact when he makes the catch. So uh, I think uh, in terms of impact, it's an interesting it's an interesting move by USC because it is kind of going away from the prototypical guys that they liked. And Lane Kiffin, obviously the head coach also had been a receivers coach at USC. You know, he had certain ideas about what a USC receiver looked like. And now that he's not here and you have, you know, Ed Ergeron taking over who's a defensive line coach, uh, the receivers coach that is the position coach, which is T Martin is going to have much more say as to who can play at USC and who can't, you know, who, who, Who from a level of talent can meet the standard to contribute to the team? And obviously, T. Martin felt like Shea Fields is a guy uh, that has that ability that he can contribute to the offense. Is he a pro-style receiver? Is he a guy that, you know, in terms of the roster now makes this great impact? Uh, It's interesting because you know Bosco runs. a kind of a, a hybrid offense where they do some things where there's a little bit of read option. It's a lot of shotgun with the junior quarterback, Josh Rosen there, who's also USC target and has a USC scholarship offer. Uh, you know, Shea Fields is, is Josh Rosen's number one target. He's been his number one target here uh, for the past year, and they have a good relationship. And I, I think, you know, as they play, there's a little more spread element to their offense than you would see with USC, but still, enough to where you know, I could see him being a slot guy in a pro offense. I think really the question becomes, you know, with USC down the line, do they change the offense? Do they bring in a coach that may change the offense? They may go to more spread. Then you see a guy like Shea Fields I think has even more of an impact because I do think he's a guy that tends to work within a system and is a system receiver that complements the guys around him uh, much more than he is a guy that's you're just going to put out there in a in a two receiver you know formation and you know 22 personnel and you're just going to have him you know try to make a play uh, on a deep route or, or or try to get open that way. I think he needs to be among you know a, a three receiver four receiver set. I think he would do more. So it's going to be interesting to see you know how he does impact the roster depending upon what offense USC brings in. I think the sidebar here is how he impacts the class. And he does impact the class, I think, significantly, A, because he is a St. John Bosco recruit. He is a St. John Bosco recruit who is not a highly touted recruit and he's a guy that uh that that comes in and I think a lot of people feel like is very underrated the guys that are around him the recruits the fellow recruits guys that have been at you know with him at various camps various passing tournaments you know he has a good rep among other recruits and a lot of people who have seen him play and they feel like that's a good get for USC i mean that's a guy that USC usually overlooks and maybe USC starting to turn around their thinking a little bit not just going after the five star guy that's the, you know, 6'4", 205 pound, uh, you know, uh, split end type. They're actually going for somebody who's a guy that's very productive, and Shea Field's definitely a very productive receiver. He's a cousin of Jalil Wadu, who's the safety. At uh, St. John Bosco, so obviously there's a there's a connection there. I think you know do who's committed to Cal right now. I think there's a very good shot that he ends up at USC eventually. Uh, and I think you know talking to sources at St. John Bosco, uh, I think St. John Bosco has maybe three or four, possibly even five guys that end up at USC on signing day. There's a couple other guys there that could maybe be guys that uh, USC looks at with scholarship offers, and obviously, you know, you have uh, the big-name guy there, Damian Mama, who's still considering USC. So from an impact standpoint, I think it's a recruit in this class, he has a pretty big impact. Um, over on the roster, you know, we always talk about recruiting right now. We kind of sort of have to wait and see what happens with the future coaching staff and the scheme.
0: All right, uh kind of a good uh, segue into this next question about uh, player evaluations and, and recruiting some of the, the lower-level guys versus the higher-level guys. Here's the uh, voicemail question for you.
2: Hi, guys. Chris in San Pedro. Question for Gerard for your next recruiting podcast. Uh, how do you evaluate talent that's not three, four, and five-star? Because it seems to me that FC is top-heavy with the superstars out of high school but we really need some uh, role players and some gamers, especially at the receiver spot, because we're just dropping too many passes uh, that could have made the difference in games against Stanford last year, uh, against Notre Dame, Marquise Lee and Nelson Aguilar dropping that pass at the end. And I'm seeing these catches being made uh, against good coverage, against us, against Arizona State. Uh, Notre Dame made a great touchdown catch. And, And so I'm asking Gerard, you know, how do you evaluate that? Do you just have to go on uh, the coach's recommendation that hey, this guy's a gamer, even though he's slower and uh, shorter than uh, the top guy? And and I just think that some second and third or fourth uh, best players on these teams, like St. John Bosco Sarah, might be something that would infuse some uh, some work ethic into the team. I know these are just kids, but I'm seeing these catches and stuff being made all over the country and. They haven't been made here for a number of years, and it's cost us a lot of games, and I really think it cost us Saturday. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate your, uh, your show. Take it
1: easy. Great question and great points, and I kind of agree with just about everything you said. Um, and I, it, the, the question is, how do you go about evaluating those guys, and, and I guess contrasting that with the guys that are the four-star, five-star guys, the guys that get you know, the immediate hype? And I think, you know, what goes into that hype, the beginning of that hype is one production, but maybe more than anything is just the physical profile. You know, when you see a guy, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of weight that sometimes is put into potential, because you see the physicality there, you see the ability, you see the receiver that's six two and he's 185 pounds as a junior. You go, okay, this guy's going to be you know six two at least 200 pounds. Once he gets to college campus, look how fast he is, and you start to fill in those blanks. And you sometimes overlook, well, how productive has he really been? Well, he was productive in this game, but then there's these five other games where he only had two catches. You know, why does he only have two catches when he's 6'2 and he's 185 and he's playing against guys that are you know, clearly not on his same level talent-wise or at least skill-wise and physically? Um, and I think sometimes we—and I say we—as in, you know, probably coaches as well, when they're looking at kids, sometimes overlook the competition and the production against that, gets that comp- competition. It's high school, so you're looking at, you know, high school kids against high school kids, and your and in your inclination is to go, well, you can't really compare. You know, these guys are not going to be the guys he's going to be playing against on Saturday. It's, it's, it's silly to even start to look at stats and things like that because it's just it's not the same as it's going to be. You know, let's wait and see if the kid plays in the Army All-America game or let's see if he, you know, ever plays against a kid that has that equal level of, of talent and he has some scholarship offers and then we can start to gauge. But that sometimes doesn't happen. And so you get certain guys that get overlooked because of that. And I agree. And you know, we talked about Shea Fields. There's a perfect example of a guy – that is not looked at as a first-tier guy uh, from a from a rating standpoint or from a scholarship standpoint at St. John Bosco. Yet, when you look at his production, he's the number one receiver for that offense. And he's the number one receiver on that team, which is a very good team. And with St. John Bosco, you see them play against very good competition night in, night out. I think you have to trust in the level of that competition. You have to have some experience in knowing what schools each school plays against, what the players are seeing every Friday night. Um, And, and, you know, when you have turnaround in your coaching staff and what have you, sometimes it's hard guys to familiarize themselves with, you know, CIF football or or UIL football. Whatever you are and you're evaluating, you have to have some type of familiarity with, okay, there was a kid at this high school four years ago, who was playing against this competition, and we didn't think he was that good because he ran a 4.640 and he was only six foot and he was 180 pounds. And he just wasn't a receiver that jumped off the tape to us. But he was really productive. The guy had, you know, 100 and something catches his senior year. He's at Oregon State now, and he's doing the exact same thing at Oregon State as he did here at Sunny Hills High School or Tresoro or wherever you're, you're, you're looking at. And then you start to go and you look back through that Rolodex and you see another kid coming out that's a similar kid. And then you realize, well, I was familiar with that kid, and I didn't look at him because he didn't have, you know, the the tangibles uh, of the measurables that you look at as far as what we look at a receiver, and that kid just killed us last Saturday night. So now I'm going to start to look at this kid who's coming out now maybe take him a little more seriously. So there's also that just that experience level of recruiting the area, and I think with USC specifically, they've been so enamored with recruiting outside the region and in the southeast and in you know the Midwest and some other places trying to go after those bigger name guys out there, maybe you're not doing enough local evaluations and going through those first tier, second tier, and even third tier guys to know even if you don't recruit that guy this year, having an idea of where he goes and where, what he actually did in college. So the next guy that comes out of that high school or that area you remember and you go, Hmm, I passed on that guy before. And that guy looks like he's coming out of high school again. I don't think we're going to pass on him this time.
0: All right. Uh, good stuff there. Thanks for that question. Let's see. Let's go. Uh, what are the other topics? Um, I think it was talking about the official visitors and, uh, there was, uh, there was a kind of surprise, I guess, official visitor to USC. Maybe you want to talk about him and what what was going on with that.
1: Uh, somewhat of a surprise because he had not talked about uh, scheduling his visit to USC. I mean, he, he had you know, officially visited uh, Washington and had a scheduled visit to Miami, uh, but not had actually talked about getting to USC during the season, and that's Claude Palin, uh, a 6'4", 6'5", 285-pound defensive tackle from Mesa Community, uh, community College uh, in Arizona, and uh, came in was the lone um, JUCO official visitor. Was the lone official visitor just of the weekend, and uh, you know, somewhat of an interesting uh, guy to come in at this point because USC uh, lost, if you want to call it, lost their uh, commitment from Michael Weiss, who was a you know six three, six four, three hundred twenty pound nose guard, uh, nose tackle. Uh, from uh, from East l a college, and so you know what happened the story there uh, He ends up decommitting and going to Miami, but from what I understand he wasn 't going to be able to make it in as a mid year for u s c He had taken some classes that he was advised not to take at uh, I think it was Adams college, uh, which is out there in the Midwest, if I recall. It's, it's kind of an odd place, but uh, evidently he was out there, and, and and that's where he chose to take those classes, and those classes didn't translate to USC, and USC wasn't going to accept him. So he kind of dug himself a hole a little bit there with trying to get in as a as a December grad, and, uh, and USC basically parted ways with him. So he turned around, committed uh, to Miami. You know, Michael Weiss, a great story, a, a guy that's been through a lot. So, you know, we were definitely happy to hear that, you know, he still had a great option in going to the University of Miami. But USC has to turn the page, and they have to look at somebody that they can bring in that obviously they want some immediate impact player. And when you're looking at the Juco Juco ranks, you're looking at a guy that physically is a little more developed and can come in and kind of plug him in. And with, you know, George Juco, you know, possibly – is George Juco a senior this year or is he a junior? I I forget sometimes.
0: No, he's he's a junior.
1: He's a junior, so that's more of a guy that maybe he leaves early for the NFL. Uh, You've still got another year with uh, Leonard Williams. He's a true sophomore, but he's obviously going to be a guy that's going to be on the NFL radar after next season. So I think they're kind of looking forward, uh, the coaching staff, at maybe plugging in a guy in there that uh, can kind of fill that gap a little bit uh, before you're necessarily going to have to have another true freshman or somebody step in and have to make an immediate impact so I think that's where Claude Palin comes in and somewhat of a surprise visitor.
0: All right. Uh, Yeah, I thought it was a surprise. It's kind of surprising me, but, you know, that's me. I'm no no Gerard Martinez, so that's... (laughs) uh, But we had a lot of stuff on that. Uh, Let's see, John White had a question he wrote in. Gerard, what does the defensive tackle recruiting board look like now with Weish and Smallwood decommitting? It looks like Claude Palin is a
1: guy that they're going to have to bring (laughs) in. Um, You know, I think with, with Smallwood... And with Weiss, both those guys, I think USC kind of sort of moved those guys out of the committee class. I, I think that was one of those things where with Smallwood we had heard he had a miserable, uh, a really miserable showing at uh, the Rising Stars camp. Uh, and a guy that, you know, his name wasn't even thrown around. And then when I had to ask about him, it was like, oh, yeah, that guy. He did not play well at the camp from the sources who were at the camp that watched him and uh, even some of the high school coaches that were there coaching the camp. And so when we started to hear that USC wasn't really calling him very much, the writing was on the wall. And as I explained with Weiss, you know, I think this is where you see a guy like Claude Palin kind of come in where, you know, you hopefully get a guy that can come in mid-year Palin is a guy that is a mid-year graduate, and USC got his transcripts. Obviously, with the official visit, they look at the transcripts and they go over, you know, where he is academically. And I don't know if I don't know if we've seen necessarily an impact from that yet. I, I don't know, you know, how quickly the turnaround is from going over transcripts and double-checking classes and making sure he took classes here and these classes. Sometimes junior college kids, and I think even in Palin's um, case. Kind of jump from sometimes junior college to junior college, or they enroll somewhere and then they don't actually play, and then they go to somewhere else. So I don't know if all his paperwork has been reviewed, but at this point, I think he's expected to be able to come in as a mid-year grad, and that's obviously going to be a big deal. So that that the pivot right now is to a guy like you know Quad Um, You know USC still has a commitment. From uh, from Austin Malata, who's the six uh, three two hundred and sixty sixty five pound defensive end from Corona Centennial. Um, you know, there's a few other guys that that are on the radar still. They're more national guys. We talked a little bit about Josh Frazier, the six four three hundred twenty pound defensive tackle from Springdale, uh, Arkansas. That's a kid that grew up you know, looking at USC and following USC and really loves USC. Um, doesn't have a lot of family connection to Southern California, but talking to him at the opening and, and just getting to see him and his personality, he's a guy that I could see looking at USC very seriously, and he's going to take an official visit to USC. Gerald Willis III, uh, 6'3", 260-pound defensive end, maybe grows into a defensive tackle from New Orleans, another guy that will likely take an official visit to USC. Um, Those Louisiana guys, you know, with Ed Erdron being the head coach right now, they're going to have a shot at some of those guys. Um, Even uh, Devon Gottschalk is another guy. Gottschalk is a guy that uh, is, is probably more of a strong side defensive end. Type six four, two hundred seventy 6'4", 270 pounds. He came out here on an unofficial visit, visited UCLA. Um, I think he came out and checked out USC. I don't know if we ever could get a hold of him to talk a little bit about that visit. Uh, But a guy that's looking, you know, to the West Coast to some extent and looking not just at USC but a few schools on the West Coast. So we'll kind of have to see, um, you know, if that develops a little more. He has said that he wants – to you know take some more official visits he committed to LSU and obviously it's going to be difficult to get him away from LSU but he keeps talking about taking official visits and he's got a couple of uh, west coast schools in mind so sometimes that uh it opens the door a little more um you have Dwayne Hendricks who's a 6'4 240 pound defensive end um from O'Fallon uh, Illinois which is right there in the St. Louis area and um he's a guy that you know kind of got quoted after Lane Kiffin got fired that uh I'm kind of glad Lane Kiffin got fired, and he, you know he kind of requested that article to be reworded to some extent because he felt like he came off a little bad talking about Lane Kiffin. But when he came out for his unofficial visit during the summer, uh, actually during fall camp, um, I guess you know Lane Kiffin didn't really talk to him so much, and, and, and he felt uh, a little uh, disconnected from. You know, making that visit all the way out here, not really having much time talking to the head coach, and so he's a big fan of Ed Orgeron, and that could be you know somewhere where USC is able to to follow up a little bit, and maybe uh, you know it sounds like you're going to get an official visit from him, you know, sometime maybe uh, probably in December, probably after the season. It seems like. The out-of-state guys are usually after the season. Um, locally, there's also uh, I Inu, knew Toa, who's a guy that I, you know I get asked up about a lot. Who's a uh, you know about six foot, 265, 270 pound, um, kind of a more of a of a nose uh, than he is. I think a, a true defensive tackle. He would be closer to Smallwood because Smallwood wasn't very big either. He was about six foot, you know, 285 pounds. Uh, so I knew Toa kind of fits that profile a little more. But at this point u s c has not offered him a scholarship, and a lot of people keep asking about that and uh, we'll have to see because he's one of the few guys that's a local guy that uh, you know is, 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 is a guy that at least from a reputation standpoint and we talked about you know, the highly-touted recruits as opposed to the guys that are under the radar. He's one of the more highly-touted guys that's, you know, gone to some camps and went to the opening and had a very good showing that uh, USC could possibly offer down the line. So there's some, there's some options there, you know, getting away from uh, the two guys that they had committed. Um, we'll kind of have to see if they they develop those options locally or if those options become uh, kind of a bigger deal um, you know, locally with, with with guys that are under the radar or they go ahead and, you know, do what they've normally done is put a lot of eggs in the out-of-state basket.
0: All right. Uh, we got some Twitter questions, too, so we can knock out a few of those and we'll go back to some other ones and other topics we want to get to. But uh, FernDig55 uh, tweeted us, why didn't USC give uh, Oregon State's Harlow a scholarship? Now he's the starting uh, right tackle. We could have used him this week.
1: Yeah, and there, that was a guy that, uh, you know, the coach that recruited that region at that point was Kennedy Polamalu, who was the offensive coordinator at USC, and Kennedy Polamalu was pretty high on Sean Harlow, but um, from a number standpoint, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin just decided that they had uh, their two guys, and they were really not looking to take more than two guys on the offensive line, and... For for whatever reason, it, Harlow was the guy that uh, just kind of was the odd man out. And it was really between him and Khalil Rogers. I think Nico Fala was the guy that they were going to take. Uh, it was really Rogers that was kind of, you know, do we go national or do we stay local? And, you know, at that point in time, that was when USC really wanted to get the the 1918 commitments in before the start of the season and that was a big national class USC was ranked preseason number one and Lane Kiffin wanted to make a statement with that class and so it had a real uh you know out-of-state flair and flavor I should say fast forward to USC go seven and six and now you're at a point where you're going okay we still have a few of these guys that are committed. And uh you know, USC did the right thing at that point with Kahlil Rogers and, and kept Khalil Rogers. I think that was a good move, that was the right move. Um, but you can argue they should have gone after another offensive lineman. Sean Harlow would have been that guy, but for whatever reason they just ate the scholarships. Um they had obviously some guys that jumped ship real late in the process, um and you weren't necessarily gonna be able to uh to to to, to offer a bunch of guys, you know, a week before signing day. And I think at that point it would have maybe been difficult to get Harlow. But Harlow was, I believe, originally committed to Washington, I think. I think so, And yeah. a lot of
0: people – what was that? I think so, yeah. I think he was. Yeah,
1: and, and I don't, and I think a lot of people felt like he was going to maintain his commitment to Washington and that it was one of those things, once he's committed, he's committed. But then when he decommitted from Washington and opened it up again – that was when I thought USC might take another look at him and make a run at him. And like I said, uh, you know, there were there was there was some, some people there in in the McKay Center that wanted to to get that done and wanted to push for him. But uh, I think you know, kind of comes from the school of Pete Carroll, and in, in, in that you know you don't want to over recruit linemen because it becomes dead weight on the roster. You know, you can't move an offensive lineman somewhere if he doesn't work out. Whereas, if you bring in a guy at another position, you know, a skill position or what have you, you can always necessarily, you know, move them down. You can move a receiver to defensive back. You can move a cornerback to safety. You can move a safety to linebacker. And what Pete would do is he would over recruit sometimes the defensive line. And then if one of those defensive linemen didn't work out, maybe a guy like Alex Parsons, you could move him over to the offensive line. And so he did that. The problem that USC ran into last year is that all their defensive linemen decommit. (laughs) So any of those guys that wanted to be, uh, you know, they thought it might turn into being an offensive lineman, uh, they weren't even there to to, to move there. So, uh, yeah, it was one of those things that, um, you know, definitely an argument. You know, why didn't they recruit Sean Harlow, USC legacy. Pat Harlow played at USC. Uh, there were definitely some people who thought that they should have.
0: Uh, let's see, we got Jay Brax 1122 from Twitter. Will Hale from Bosco get an offer? And who is the better prospect, him or Chris Hawkins? You know, that's a good question. Um, I
1: like that it's not Chris Hawkins, it's Chandler Hawkins. <laughs> Chris Hawkins is already committed to USC. Uh, Chandler Hawkins, oh, sorry, is, yeah, uh, the Chris Hawkins, <laughs> yeah, is is, a, is another guy that's at Bosco that. Um, is one of those kids that, you know, doesn't have a scholarship offer now, but has a pretty good size. He's about, you know, 5'11", almost at six-foot range and uh, about 175 pounds. He's got really good height on him. And it's just a guy that uh, a lot of people don't really know a whole lot about. And, um, you know, he had, I think, two picks uh, when I saw him play against uh, Clovis North. And so he was one of the stars of the game. and kind of jumped on the map. Uh, then and I, I I like him. I I think that's one of those guys that uh, USC has to kind of give a long look to, um, and and kind of different than uh, Nigel Hale, who is who is the known guy at St. John Bosco's as a corner. He's about five eleven, 170 pounds, uh, committed to Arizona. Um, you know, uh, son of Nate Dog had been on the Snoop Dogg. Um, you know, the 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 seven on seven passing team. So he was out there. The passing circuit was at all the camps. Uh, just kind of a known commodity so to speak and so you can make the argument yes a more developed guy yes a more known guy from at least a, um, a, a recruiting publication standpoint but who's the more productive guy and you know when I saw Chandler Hawkins play you know he was the more productive guy now you also have to take into consideration, Hale is a known guy, and because he's a known guy, people are not maybe going to throw as much to him. So Chandler Hawkins is going to get more balls thrown his way. But to his credit, he defended those balls really well. And he had two picks, and he had a really good season, you know, from that point on. So uh, Chandler Hawkins is a, is, a, is a guy that uh, I, I think USC is definitely going to look at further. Hale, you know the. Feeling there is kind of the feeling I have with Dwight Williams, the six foot, 190-pound linebacker from Sarah. I don't know what more those guys can do for USC, too, to offer them. You know, I, I mean, I, I guess there's a game they could have that just, you know, they jump off the film and USC just has second thoughts. Because USC sometimes does that. I mean, they've, they've offered guys when you thought, man, you could offer offered this guy three months ago. Why didn't you do it then? And then they offer him, you know, three months later, and it doesn't really necessarily make sense. So it's certainly not one of those things where I'd ever say, no way Nigel Hale is not going to get an offer. No way he's, or I should say, no way he's going to get an offer. No way, uh, you know, at this point, USC, you know, that ship is sailed. I, I wouldn't say that, but you kind of wonder to yourself, along with Dwight Williams, what more could they do? Uh, you know, they're not getting taller. They're not getting <laughs> faster. We've seen those guys for the last two, three years. And if you're not sold on them now, then I don't know what will sell you on them. Whereas a guy like Chandler Hawkins, he's kind of a new commodity to, you know, the recruiting map and and a guy that you're still trying to maybe evaluate and still trying to figure out. I'm still kind of looking at him and trying to figure him out. I want to see more film on him. Uh, But you know what? It's a guy that uh, he he might be a guy. He might be a guy. He's definitely physically a pretty impressive kid when you're getting into that six-foot range and uh, you're 175 pounds and you're playing against the best competition really in Southern California in terms of the league.
0: A lot of questions we got tweeted in had to do with coaching and how that would impact recruiting. And I wanted to talk to you about guys like Kevin Sumlin or Chris Peterson or Jack Del Rio and how those guys would impact, you know, USC from a recruiting standpoint. And some people want to know, is, you know, Ed Orgeron, potentially him sticking on, how that would impact recruiting. What do you think this head coaching search, how it really impacts recruiting?
1: Well, it impacts
0: recruiting a lot,
1: Um, and we really haven't seen the impact of it yet. Uh, You you don't see an impact of it until, you know, that that first report comes out that, uh, you know, this guy's interviewing and he's serious for the job, Um, that there's that potential that there's a hire about to be made. Then, you know, that becomes a little more real for people, and it becomes a little more real for the recruits and then their opinions start to, to to be formulated and a lot of the times their opinions are formulated via the media, you know, via the all the talking heads that are on TV and their takes and then they kind of take that and they go, okay. And then there's the actual hiring and then that transition of that coach coming in and talking to those kids one-on-one because you have a lot of perceptions of how, you know, a coach is or how well of a fit he is and everybody's going to have those opinions. But that moment where he sits down and talks to that recruit and his parents uh, can be very different. I mean, Lane Kiffin was a good recruiter, and yet a lot of people have negative opinions about him uh, just from a personality standpoint. He certainly wasn't a splash hire for USC when USC made that hire, coming away from Pete Carroll. Uh, it, It sort of made sense to some people in terms of trying to keep some continuity, but it wasn't like, oh, wow, that's, that's a great hire by USC. Oh, wow. You know, so there was already questions coming away from Tennessee and, you know, kind of the baggage he had in Tennessee and the way he left Tennessee. But once he got in home with that 2010 class and you're talking about Robert Woods, you're talking about Kyle Prater, talking about Dylan Baxter, you're talking about one of the best classes in the nation. Um, if not the best class in the nation, I, I can't remember what they ended up being rated, but I think it was really, really high at the end of the year. Um, I mean, he he closed on those guys. I mean, obviously USC had a good committed class, but you're talking about three weeks where he had to keep those guys committed, and he did. And so, you know, sometimes the perception and, and the talking heads on the media, they have influence on what kind of kids think about with recruits. But that real first meeting, that first impression, sometimes goes even a longer ways. And so, I mean, you have got quite a few different guys. I mean, you got you you've got different types of guys from a candidate standpoint, I think that recruits look at uh, impact-wise. You've got a guy like uh, Kevin Sumlin. Um, Kevin Sumlin is, uh, from a personality standpoint, obviously, a lot of people talk about him fitting in well at USC. He comes from a program, which is a pretty big program, pretty high program in Texas A&M. They're right now recruiting at a high level. So there's going to be some overlap there with Kevin Sumlin And if he was to come into USC, his familiarity with some of the recruits, not all the recruits because it's a different region. He's recruiting Texas a lot more. USC doesn't really recruit Texas very much. Um, But there's going to be some familiarity with the top guys and who he has to go after. And some coaches on that staff that he brings in probably have some familiarity with those recruits too. So in terms of uh, continuity and overlap, a guy like Kevin Sumlin, there would be a lot of that. And then you have your guys like, you know, Chris Peterson um, that's that's at a, at a program that's a little smaller program and not recruiting quite at the same level as, a, 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 you know, a high BCS level school like USC or Texas or Florida, et cetera. He comes in a little differently because, you know, he had a guy like Shea Fields committed early. He offered him very early. They're looking at another kind of recruit, a different level tier recruit, out of California and the West region than even a guy like Kevin Sumlin. So the familiarity is probably not going to be there as much. You don't really hear quite as much about Chris Peterson from recruits as you would Kevin Sumlin. Um, there doesn't seem to be those relationships quite as much, which is odd because, I mean, he has some guys that are committed. I mean, you know, they have Jalen Johnson, who's uh, a linebacker recruit out of Corona Centennial, who USC offered a scholarship, and, and he picked Boise State over uh, USC, but there's not a lot of guys that really have an opinion of Chris Peterson. Um, not at least as much as, as Kevin Selman. So you have to think, well, there's a reason for that. And then a lot of that reason has to go towards the guys at Boise States recruiting as opposed to, you know, a Texas A&M. Um, then you have the NFL guys, the guys like Jack Del Rio who come in kind of total clean slate when it comes to recruiting because they haven't recruited. Uh, you know, Del Rio's not recruiting anybody while he's the defensive coordinator and the Denver Broncos. Yet, at the same time, Jack Del Rio is a bigger name uh, with recruits than Peterson or someone. Uh, I mean, as far as the guys that, you know, I've talked to and the recruits that I've talked to, the, the, the kids that are on top of it enough, that, that are, uh, you know, they, 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 they read up enough and they, they have their ears to the ground enough Del Rio is a name that does come up. And and I think it's just the the NFL. I think the NFL holds that much weight with kids. And while there's a a segment of the fan base that doesn't want anything to do with the NFL, I think recruiting-wise, the recruits want to hear about the NFL. They want a guy that has some NFL experience. They want to hear somebody come into their, their living room and say, I was there. I've been there. I've coached at that level. I know exactly what it takes to recruit at that or to coach at that level to get you to that level. That was something that Pete used brilliantly when he recruited. That's something that Jim Mora is using to recruit guys. And that would be a little bit of something that would hamper USC in recruiting because UCLA would have that ability to go in home and say, look at Jim Mora. He's a guy that's been in the pros. Adrian Clinton, he's a guy that played in the pros. Uh, We know what it is to be a professional football player. We know the sacrifices and what it takes. We have those connections in the league to get you drafted. There's you know, a lot of hyperbola that is, gets involved in the recruiting pitch, but they have it. And USC, if they go that way of just a college coach that doesn't really have any uh, real bearings in the NFL, that's obviously going to be used against them. Um, and then the negative side is, like I said, with a guy like Dorio or Lovey Smith or whoever else you mentioned, Greg Roman, those guys are not necessarily – uh, real familiar with the, with with the college uh, g- game right now and the high school football game more specifically, so they 're going to have to be brushed up on uh, not just the rules but hey who 's out there to recruit you know who do you want uh, and, and, and a lot of that I think all you know can be can be supplemented with just the coaching staff that you bring in you know if you you keep some Coaches on staff at USC that have familiarity, you know, a guy like T. Martin or Ed Orgeron, those guys have obviously recruited really hard for USC, and they know multiple regions, and they know their stuff when it comes to who's, what. what's the talent pool look like. Um, so that can be supplemented with an NFL coach, but there is going to be that, 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 that transition period of, okay, this is how it works. And so you have really three, you know, different kind of segments of – kind of coaches you have the guy that hasn't recruited at the top level of usc you have the guys that have recruited at the top level and continue to recruit at the top level and then you have the guys that are the nfl guys which really haven't recruited at all so we don't necessarily know how well they adapt to it
0: all right uh jerry on twitter or he's known as great halos fan wants to know about jonathan lockett what else does lockett have to do to get an offer
1: there's a good example of a guy like Nigel Hale. You know, what does he have to do to get an offer? I, uh, what can he do more? I, I don't know. Grow a couple inches? I mean, I I, I hate, to, I hate to, to, to to sound flippant, but I, I don't know what he could do. Um, I know that Clancy Pendergast went to his game a couple of weeks ago when they had to buy, or they played that Thursday game. I think Clancy Pendergast went to a modern-day game saw him play in person and obviously was not impressed enough to come away and, and feel like he had a scholarship offer. Uh, Kevin Lockett was probably the best overall cornerback I think we saw over the, 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 the off-season camp circuit, I, I would say. Um, you know, not looking at a list or, or anything. I, I'm, I'm trying to think if anybody else was more consistent. He definitely technically sound. I think his uh, physical attributes – are a little hidden because he is technically sound and he never looks like he really has to um, you know, push himself too hard. He's very smooth in his running style. His hips are smooth. He's just not a very big guy. Uh, but he's a very good player and, and a guy that, you know, if you really want to put that local emphasis in the class, I, I kind of think he might be a guy that you want to take. I mean, USC also offered – uh, Compton Centennial quarterback Denzel Fisher. Now Denzel Fisher is almost the opposite. Denzel Fisher is the guy that's kind of a little still uncoordinated, but he's six you know, 170, 75 pounds. I mean he's a he's a he's a giraffe compared to a guy like uh, Jonathan Lockett. And so again, we're talking about potential here. You know, we're talking about a big, long corner that you know you're immediately going to go, well, oh Richard Sherman, this is a Richard Sherman guy, yeah, yeah, just, that was uh-huh. how Richard Sherman was. Well. Maybe, you know, I mean, maybe not. You know, Richard Sherman was also a receiver more coming out of Compton uh, Dominguez High School than he really was considered a cornerback. And, you know, there's a little bit of revisionist history about USC recruiting Richard Sherman when he was coming out of high school. And I read the stories from Seattle and how, oh, Pete Carroll knew he was going to be a great cornerback and blah, blah, blah. Well, Pete Carroll never offered him a scholarship (laughs) coming out of high school. And that's why he ended up at Stanford. So he didn't know he was going to be that great of a cornerback. Um, but you know that's that's the the parallel that's made with Denzel Fisher at this point. So you have a guy that like Denzel Fisher, who maybe not as productive, but potentially you look at him physically, you go, oh, okay, this is a guy. You know, he he's got great. He's he's uh, I think he won the WAPS games. Um, you know, with, with with all the different events that they did, and, and a guy that's got some track background, as opposed to you know Jonathan Lockett, who plays for a much better program, he's better coached. Um, and he's more productive, and it, but but that sort of kind of hurts him because I guess people maybe feel like he's a little tapped out potentially. So it goes back to that question, you know, recruiting the lower-level guys, and certainly Lo- Jonathan Lockett isn't necessarily a lower-level guy. He's a known guy. But I think in terms of, you know, his ceiling, I think if you were to poll college coaches, you know, they like that guy. They like Denzel Fisher because he's the guy that has – you know, oh, the weight that he could put on, and he could be so much faster, and he could be coached so much more, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes, like I said, the weight is put into the potential, and potential is just that. You know, it's not necessarily proven.
0: All right. Uh, we had uh, speaking of quarterbacks, um, Anthony from Memphis wanted to know about uh, with all the USC secondary issues. Why are not more top recruits jumping at the opportunity? to play for USC, and SC Pride on Twitter actually wanted to know any cornerback visits coming up.
1: Memphis, first and foremost, has the best barbecue sauce. I'm just going to say that right now. You're a Memphis guy? Oh. I'm a Memphis. I'm going to love the Memphis barbecue sauce. I'm right. a Texas guy. There you South go, South Anthony. Job. Memphis. Anyways, I digress. Um, <laughs> you, you know, Well, in terms of, of more guys jumping on USC, I mean, obviously the uncertainty here with, with the coaching staff, I, I think you know, the fact that they've got guys committing is kind of still surprising to me, you know, twofold just in terms of, you know, coming into a situation that's uncertain for a recruit. And then the flip side of USC, not necessarily knowing where they're going to be from a coaching staff standpoint. And, and you bring in a new coach and, okay, here's your recruiting class, you know. <laughs> new coaches can say, well, some of these guys don't fit what I want to do, and then you're going to have a little bit of a mess on your hands. Um, so, I mean, from that extent, they, they are still recruiting, and it's still a pretty fluid situation in terms of offers and guys committing. But I can understand why, you know, the bigger-name guys are just sitting back right now, and they're going to wait. And, the, you know, majority of these scholarship offers have gone to guys that are either committed to other schools, like Denzel Fisher talked about him, Oops, forgot to mention, he's committed to UCLA. So, you know, UCLA offered him earlier. He's a huge Trojan fan, though, and he's seriously looking at USC. And if USC makes the right hire and they have a guy that can sit down in home with him, and I think Kevin Sumlin is one of those few guys, you know, that, that, that I mean, from the outside perspective, because I just don't know him that well, but I, I think he might be able to come in and and these kids are going to say, oh, I, I want to be – This is this is something – you know, I, I my my at, at this point from the most realistic and greatest kind of way this could be sorted out for USC from a college uh, from a from a coaching candidate standpoint, if the planets sort of aligned and you're not talking about a crazy stretch of the imagination here, if USC was able to get Kevin Sumlin and then pair him with Derek Mason, give Derek Mason a big fat raise. That would be a hell of a duel right there. That that would be one of those things where a guy like Denzel Fisher says, I'm committed yesterday. <laughs> and and so, I mean, I think that would be a, a heck of a one-two punch. Um, you're bringing in a proven uh, commodity as a defensive coordinator, a great coach, a great recruiter, a guy that has great connections in Virginia and the East Coast. He's plucked some guys out of Virginia that turn out to be real players for Stanford. Um, and and obviously scheme-wise it's not too much different away from what USC is doing now. It's a little more of a a 34 front, it's a little more traditional than what USC does, but it would still work with what these guys are doing right now, and he would be able to hit the ground running, obviously being very familiar with the recruits on the West Coast, and not necessarily having the same stringent academic standards. Um, So you bring a guy like that in with Kevin Sumlin who, you know, proven commodity on the offensive side of the ball, and that's Ooh, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty big deal. And you and you're also talking about a splash hire because that's um the first African American head coach that USC would have. And that would be a big deal. That would be big deal in, in Los Angeles, in the city, uh and, and for the kids who are majority of them in the class are probably going to be African American. So that that's that's all very big deal. And and that I could see, you know, from a standpoint of, of guys lining up and, and wanting to commit. And that's, not a, that's not a stretch. I mean, that's not something, and obviously I'm not saying that it's a good chance that happens, but in terms of the probabilities of things that happen and, and the chances of things happen, that's not completely out of the question of happening. And, and obviously with Derek Mason, that's a guy that you know, we talk about a little bit on the coaching board and, and we've mentioned quite a few times on the Peristyle. Uh, he's a guy that's been talked about even as a head coaching possibility. And, and that might be, you know, he might be off the board and get a head coaching job at, at a smaller school. I think it's a little big for him to jump into the USC job from from where he is right now, uh, having only been really a coordinator at Stanford. But what would be good is that, you know, if they get someone, someone's on the hot train right now to the NFL, if if you see him make that move from A&M to go to USC, then the talk is going to be, okay, how long is he at USC until he's going to the pros? That's going to be the, the new narrative. So then if you bring in a guy like Derek Mason, and that's going to be the great thing about a guy like Kevin Sumlin as a hire is that you're going to be able to get a coordinator that's going to be eyeing that head coach job. And then all of a sudden now you've got a guy that, okay, defensive coordinator Stanford, um, you know, he's, he's been around a little bit. Uh, He's got familiarity with the Pac-10. If he's able to prove that, you know, he can bring that great defense that they have at Stanford and develop it at USC, then he walks into the head coaching job at USC and USC's got another good head coach and they basically secured that line there for the next decade so that that's that's kind of a nice thing and I think you know in terms of the the guys that are out there now and the cornerbacks you're also going to look at the coaching hire and and if a defensive coordinator that they bring in if they bring an offensive-minded coach that would obviously be a big deal to the secondary guys. And you're going to be able to go and grab some guys uh, that maybe you wouldn't even normally be able to get just because they like Derek Mason. and like what he did at Stanford. I mean, Adoree Jackson is a, is a guy that USC is recruiting as an offensive guy right now. He probably doesn't even know much about Derek Mason because and I don't think Adoree Jackson has an offer from Stanford. Um, again, it's probably an academic issue. But all of a sudden, you know, he goes to Stan or he goes to USC Hey, Adore Jackson meet Derek Mason. Yeah, he's the guy that you know has been dominating the Pac-10 uh, defensively over the past few couple years here. Uh, that would probably play you know in uh, pretty significantly with those guys. So um, you know, as far as you know, the great need of defensive back, it's definitely a great need right now. USC is is you know I think they're on that cusp of okay, do we start going after more local guys? Do we get away from our national offers? And with the local guys, who are the guys that we have shots at, and who are the guys that look like they might be going out of state? You know, the Adore Jacksons, uh, you know, they got to look at Juju Smith. You know, is he a guy that uh, starts to get wowed a little more by, you know, your organs. I think he's a West Coast guy for sure, Juju Smith. But, uh, you know, I-, I could see, you know, maybe Oregon, Washington kind of getting in his head a little bit. I think he wants to stay close to home. He's a USC fan, he's a Trojan fan. Um, he wants to see USC good, but if he doesn't feel USC is going to be good, he could go elsewhere. I just don't think he's going to go very far elsewhere. So that means you're probably going to be playing against him. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of sort of, I think, where things are right
0: now with USC and specifically the secondary recruiting. Um, Since we're talking about coaching so much, uh, FTFO on Twitter wanted to know who we think – USC should hire as a head coach, and I, the guy you mentioned, Sumlin, I think is the number one guy on uh, my list right now. He's he's probably my favorite. I think he would have the most success. But wh- who's who's yours?
1: Man, I hate to get pinned down with uh you know, every, and people have asked me before, and I kind of sidestepped it, and and you know, my my opinions are are, are they're fluid. I mean, they you know, I, I see things and I watch games and 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 do my research and then I talk to somebody and then my my opinion sort of changes because of you know somebody that's pretty close to a situation and they have this opinion about this guy or that guy um, obviously we have to have a working relationship with whoever comes in and so I don't want to be that 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 naive uh, you know, a pundit that's going to be out there, oh, they don't. They shouldn't recruit this guy. This guy is not the guy that they need as a head coach. They shouldn't even be looking at this guy. I, because, quite frankly, there were so many people that would have had their foot in their mouth when Pete Carroll was hired. I mean, I I learned from that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I wasn't one of those guys that had really opinion either way on Pete Carroll, but that was really kind of before the Internet was the Internet that we know today. I mean, it was before the peristyle, it was before you really had – you know this, this the Twitter and Facebook and everything, but so many people just thought, oh man, USC just dug themselves a deeper hole. They came out of Paul Hackett, terrible hire from the NFL. Now they're going after this retread Pete Carroll guy, who's not even fourth guy on the list. Oh my God, USC football is dead. And look what happened, you know. So I mean, to to I just don't want to get into the whole. Okay, yeah, they need to not look at this guy, or they need not to look at that guy. As far as the guys that I think would be good hires, I think Kevin Sumlin, as you said, is a good hire. I really want to make sure he gets paired up with a good defensive coordinator, a proven guy. I'm still skeptical whether that air raid offense can be linked up with just a kind of a you know a, a physical. Derek Mason type defense. I, mean, I just don't know if you can have the two. There's so much symbiotic relationship between how your defense practices and how your offense practices and the guys you're recruiting for your scout team, et cetera, et cetera. Your, your defense tends to take the personality of your offense. We have seen that time and time again. And if you've got this air raid finesse, we don't really run the ball a whole lot offense, I don't know if you can have a tough physical defense. It's it's tough, but I see Kevin Sumlin as a guy that is in a lot of areas. Those check marks, he he hits them. He hits them right, and I think he would be a good hire. Certainly not a guy that I would think is uh, that's a bad hire for USC at least on paper. I think Chris Peterson probably more of a balanced hire. I like because his offense is multiple. He has the spread, you know, type. Uh, There's there's, there's aspects of the spread in his scheme, but then you can also see him go to a lot of pro-style stuff. I mean, they'll run out of the eye sometimes, the broken eye. They'll go pistol, uh, really a lot of different stuff, and he really seems to coach around his personnel, and I like that. That's what I liked about Stanford and their offense, because they really coach well around their personnel, and I see that. As, as, as positive not just on the offensive side of the ball but the defensive side of the ball too because Boise State has had some good defenses. And they've done it, in a, again, kind of like their offense in some multiple ways. They've had some 34 fronts. they used some four-man fronts. They've done it in a lot of different ways. And so I, I like that. Granted, you know, Boise State's having a, t- a tough year this year. I mean, they're not, they're, they're not the it team like they've usually been. And that move, you know, to play better competition week in, week out has certainly kind of taken a little bit of polish off of them. You know, when they were kind of hidden away and, and playing in the whack and not playing, you know, teams every year that were, or or I should say every week that were, you know, better teams, uh, they, they seemed to, you know, be able to kind of kind of sit back, have a couple games against nobodies, and then, you know, that big game against whoever it was, whether it was the beginning of the season or bowl game, that's when they would really be able to kind of focus in and and win that one big game. Well, obviously, if you're going to the Pac-12, you're not just going to play that one big game. You're going to be playing those games week in and week out. And the coaching line from Boise State has been less than impressive. Your Dirk Cutters, your Brent Pease, um, you know the coordinators that have come from Boise State have not been overly successful. Dan Hawkins, who you know just on paper looked like that would be a great hire for Colorado, that was a disaster. So there's a little bit of reservation. You know there's a there's a pro and a, and a con to most of these hires. And I think, uh, but those two guys I think are, are definitely towards the top of the list. Uh, but I don't get away from the NFL guys. I mean I I, I need to I need to see more about the NFL guy. The, 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 the guy they zero in on, and if if it, if it's right, you know Greg Roman. I still don't know quite enough about Greg Roman and what he really did at Stanford with John John Har or excuse me Jim Harbaugh, and you know what what place did he really have within developing that scheme at, at Stanford? You know, obviously he's the offensive of coordinator at the San Francisco Forty ers now, so he has quite a bit of of, of say in, in developing the playbook, but being a great Guy in terms of developing a playbook and knowing the offense is not necessarily being a great play caller, and and so you got another can of worms there with you know how much is Jim Harbaugh really the guy behind what makes the offense go because he's an offensive coach? Um, You've had other coaches, you know. I mean, uh, David Shaw was also a part of uh, of the play calling duties at Stanford when Jim Harbaugh was there. So you're kind of trying to decipher and dissect. You know, what part of the scheme, which is a great scheme that has gone from college and been very successful and, and made the transition to the pros? I mean, unlike what we've seen with Chip Kelly to this point. I mean, Chip Kelly right now is struggling with the Eagles to make that offense go. Where, I mean, I mean that was pretty pretty good transition for Jim Harbaugh in his first year with San Francisco with that same kind of offense. So it's a strong offense. It's It's got strong... Uh, fundamental uh, structure to it. Uh, it's just a question of, you know, you bring in an offensive coordinator from the NFL, you're always going to have those, you know, 20-hour or 20 hour rule questions of, can, you know, is there enough time in the day for him to be able to get this across? Obviously, having coached at Stanford and developed that offense at the college level, you have less of those questions about Greg Roman. You know, Jack Del Rio, another guy. A lot of people feel like, oh, that, that's just a guy that comes up because he's an SC guy. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's familiar with USC. He's familiar with California. Um, I think that could be a positive. It's not necessarily something that's a great positive. Obviously, you know, uh, Rick Neuheisel had a lot of those same uh, uh, characteristics, attributes as a, as a coaching candidate when UCLA hired him, and that didn't really work out well for him. That didn't, he? He couldn't use that enough. For him to be successful at UCLA, so it's not something that's you know necessarily a big thing. Then that's the reason why USC should hire Del Rio, but I don't see it as necessarily a bad thing. NFL former head coach, great experience there, running a program, managing a team, going through drafts, having to deal with personnel, having to hire coaches. I mean that's where the whole thing about being a head coach at a bigger program with the spotlight, you know the pressures there. You you know the guy has gone through it before. And you can, you know, you can say all you want about, you know, being critical about how well he he did at Jacksonville and, and, you know, what he did and what he didn't do from a winning standpoint, but he had that experience of doing it. And he's also been a coordinator uh, and being a very successful one at, at, at you know, Carolina, uh, Baltimore. Um, he was, you know, a linebacker coach there and kind of worked his way up. Uh, actually, I think he started as a strength and conditioning coach with uh, with New Orleans. And so he, you know, he's seen a lot of different viewpoints of, of professional football. And, again, you bring that into the recruiting process and you sit down in that in-home visit and you look across the table and you say, I've been there. I, I've only been there as a coach, but I've been there as a player. So I know how to get you there. And those kids buy into that. They love that. They want to hear that. Like, man, he was here. He played baseball at USC, and he played football at USC, and he got
0: drafted and like what was it,
1: the fourth round, I think Jack Durrell was drafted for, for football for the from the Vikings?
0: Uh, I don't remember which round. Third or fourth or something like that.
1: Yeah, and, and ended up, you know, building myself into being a Pro Bowl player. I was an old pro, you know, and, and that's so that that holds weight. That's a big deal. And and so those guys that are NFL guys, I think you gotta look at as well. And and like I said, I I don't necessarily uh dismiss anyone, but I, I think that's that's kind of where the, the 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 chart is kind of right now with with the coaching. At least on my list of guys who I'm looking at the most, um, there are more outside box guys. Um, but guys, you know, it's it, it's it's interesting the perception and speaking to people outside the USC bubble. You know, the people because we're so close to it. You know, we have our own viewpoints of who's a good coach and who's doing what and. You know, you see these games on Saturdays. You go, ah, that guy's doing this with this offense, and man, USC could do this. And oh, with this defense, USC could do this. If you just gave that guy better players, he could, you know, maybe do this. Um, and a guy like Al Briles is, is a guy that's, you know, killing it right now at Baylor. And, you know, they're scoring seventy points in, in games and, and, and blowing people out. And then you start to talk to people in Texas, and they're kind of like, yeah. Yeah, he's okay. I mean, they just don't have the same perception. And a lot of people feel like he's just not a big enough name for USC to go after. People even think that's to some extent about Charlie Strong. They kind of see Charlie Strong as a guy that, yeah, if he went to Tennessee, uh, you know, maybe if he went to Georgia, even that might be, you know, South Carolina. But, but nah, I mean USC, that's like a national program. And this is the, just the conversation and the feedback you get from people. In those regions in those areas, you know people in Texas and people out there and and the USc name is national it is a brand and it is huge and I think sometimes you and I and the and the and the 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 peristyle uh, members that that are on there and and, and pounding out their opinions every day kind of don't see it and maybe it's you know for better or for worse i, I don't I don't know but sometimes it gets overlooked as to. You know, is that guy really big enough for the USC job? And, you know, connotations. There's a lot of different definitions of, you know, what, what big is. You know, James Franklin. You know, talk to, uh, to Rob Cassidy, who, who knows James Franklin from Kansas State and knows him very well and has nice things to be, say about James Franklin. But he goes very candidly, is he really? but is he really like a USC level USC that's a big that's a big job with a lot of national scrutiny and it you know the the expectations are huge there and that's USC man they got to go after somebody who's a big time name and you know you and I kind of go well yeah but James Franklin's a good coach right he would come in and be a good recruiter and and we're looking at all the fine details but sometimes I guess maybe not seeing the forest through the trees so that's that's a different perspective and that's something that I'm constantly reminded of as we go through this coaching search and and, you know, to have those perspectives from the outside, it, it definitely influences your own perspective.
0: Um, well, that was definitely rambling there. That was the <laughs> definition of rambling. I said, ah, I think Kevin Selman, he'd be my number one guy, Gerard. And then I get a 10-minute uh, explanation of what you think. Well, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of guys that could do the job well. They just wanted to know who we thought would be the number one candidate. So I gave him my number one. You gave him a whole lot more so that's good so ftfo on twitter you got your uh, money's worth on that one and we're over an hour now so we're going to (laughs) wrap we're going to wrap this one up um looking up coming up on uscfootball.com there's going to be future impact pieces on shea fields and uchana nuuso and target list updates there'll be some isolation videos there'll also be a chris peterson uh uh coaching profile so you can check that out lots of good stuff coming up and uh thanks again gerard for coming on Thank you for having me. I apologize
1: for the long (laughs) coaching opinion, but my coaching opinion and conversation is taking the face of the coaching church. It's not going to be rapid fire, guys. It's taking its time. It's going to be
0: methodical. It will be methodical, just like Gerard's answers to very simple questions. All right. Thanks, Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. Third podcast of the week, if you can tell. Uh, I'm podcasted out right now, but we'll come back again on Monday with the regular Peristyle podcast and a lot more, so stay tuned for all of that.